Thank you for listening to the Life Church of Kansas City, Missouri. Consider supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com, subscribing, and sharing this message with your friends. God bless you. Amen. I want to continue on in our series in the book of Romans. Tonight's subject is Alive in God, Dead to Sin. Alive in God, Dead to Sin. Let's look in the book of Romans, chapter number six. Begin reading at verse number one. Romans 6, verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sins, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts, and do not present your, present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Continuing on over to 1 John chapter number three. 1 John chapter number three. The word says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you who know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither him nor known him. Can you say amen to the scripture tonight? Yes, alive in God and dead to sin. Several decades ago, maybe back in the 60s, 70s, I'm not sure, there was a statement made that got really popular in the world, and it was, God is dead. God is dead. I remember seeing that back in the 90s when I was a teenager And just recently, I saw somebody with a shirt on that just simply said, God is dead. 
And I got to thinking about that, and obviously anybody who believes that has not experienced what we have experienced. You know, they're just simply going off their experience and what they have known in existence in their own life. But I got to really thinking about that and praying about that. And I said, Lord, what do I say when that is brought up? And the Lord spoke to me and said, it is not that I am dead, but rather man is dead to God because, yes, amen, man is dead to God because sin is alive in mankind. That is what is going on. God is not dead, but man is dead because sin is alive in mankind. The book of Romans is different in your Bible reading than the books before it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, those five books are full of history, full of action, full of the performances of God, the miracles, the wonders, the signs, the passion of Jesus is there, the overcoming of the grave and the resurrection and uh, the overpowerment of the forces of darkness and it's just the foundational principles of the church of the living God. And then you get into the book of Acts, the, the history of the church, which we are to this day, the continuance of it. But you get into the book of Romans, there's not really any mention of any powerful miracles. There's not really any mention of great signs. There's not really mention of any great wonders. There's not really a whole lot of action. And you know what it is? It's a whole lot of teaching to help the Christian mature spiritually. That's what the epistles are for. It is to help somebody who has already believed, already been baptized, already been filled with the Spirit, go on in perfection in their lifestyle and in their understanding of God. You see, we are Christians. You know what that means? It means to be a follower of Christ. Not somebody who just stands there and never grows or never moves but somebody who walks with God. A walk is like a journey, always going. And in our walk with God, one of the greatest temptations is to not grow, to not mature, but rather stay a baby in Christ. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, you all should be eating meat of the word of God, meaning you all should be having a T-bone steak, every service, but we are still having to give you milk in a bottle because you can't handle it because of the lack of spiritual maturity. You know, I remember as a kid, I was so excited to go to school because I felt older. And through grade school, I was so excited to get into the youth group because I felt older. And then as a senior, I was so excited to get out of high school to get on with college. And then in college, I was so excited to get out of that and go on with my life. There's something in all of us that in this natural world you want to progress, but I'm sure a day is going to come when I will want to go back to being 21 all over again. That day may come. But the same principle of wanting to grow older and have your own car and have your own house and have a family and all of that, the same thing applies to our walk with God. Granted, when you were baptized, that is life-changing and you never forget it, but it doesn't just stop there. Whenever you received the Holy Ghost, the initial sign of his spirit inside of you, and you spoke in tongues, did it just stop there? Oh, no. God wants to mature us and to grow us. 
I remember back in the 90s, our church uh, did a, a play, a drama, and it was called The Soul. And it was about a man whose soul was poisoned by the enemy through complacency. It wasn't drugs. It wasn't alcohol. It wasn't immorality. It wasn't idolatry. It wasn't anything like that. But it was simply a demonic attack of complacency, meaning that the person could not move forward in God. They could not advance in their knowledge with God. They became stagnant in their walk with him. God wants you to grow. God wants you to mature. God wants you to flourish. Amen. He didn't just hang on a cross for you and I to just stay a little baby in him. But God wants us to grow in him, to understand him, and to become mature Christians. Can you say praise the Lord? And the book of Romans will do that for you. It will help you to understand what sin does, what it has done, it will, it will do for you in the future. And not only that, but it will help you to understand where sin came from and the origins of it and why it afflicts us even to this day. Book of Romans talks about the origins of sin, dating back into the book of Genesis, the story of Adam and Eve. I've heard a lot of definitions of sin in my walk with God. Some have said anything that separates you from God. Some have said that sin is anything that breaks the peace in this present age. I've heard a lot of definitions, read a lot of books about it, but I found something in the Bible several years ago. The Bible gives the definition of sin. The Bible itself gives the definition of sin. And it's found in that second passage that we read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. A great verse to have highlighted or written down in your notebook, the definition of sin. And the Bible says that sin is lawlessness. That's what it is. It is as simple as that. Sin is just simply lawlessness. Where there is no law of God, that is sin. Where the law of God does not exist in thoughts, feelings, actions, lifestyle, that is what sin is. It is lawlessness. So God created Adam and Eve. He created the world and he said, you may eat of every tree that is in the garden except one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I believe for that reason, because God never wanted mankind to have the knowledge of good and evil, meaning the knowledge of how good and evil can exist together. Mankind was simply only meant to know the word of God. Mankind was only meant to know what God had commanded, only God's word. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil was set there for a specific purpose and a specific place. And it was not for mankind to understand. It was not for mankind to have anything to do with. It was God's very own tree for his own purpose. But through the lies of the serpent and the deceit of his words, and causing Adam and Eve to question the word of God, they ate of the fruit, they sinned, and because of that sin, death entered into the world. They partook of that fruit, their sin brought sin into the world, and it brought death into the world. God told Adam and Eve before they ever sinned, he said, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. 
You know, a lot of people have read that and said that is a major inconsistency because Adam and Eve didn't die that day. They lived to be 900-something years old. Well, you later find out in the Bible, what does it say? One day with the Lord is how many years? A thousand years. And to this day, no person has ever lived to be a thousand years old. Everybody dies in the Lord's day, including Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, sin was transferred just into the atmosphere of this earth. Now understand this, Ezekiel taught us that the sins of the father and mother do not pass to their children. Now maybe the weaknesses, like DNA weaknesses, may pass to the children, for instance, if you have to eat a bowl of ice cream every night, that may pass to your children, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> things like that. You know, th- you know, weaknesses in the DNA. But, but sin, you did not inherit your parents' sin. Their sin did not pass unto you. And neither did you inherit their righteousness. But every person, every man or woman is born with a clean slate, But because you are born into sin and the flesh is fallen, it is only a matter of time before every man or woman, when they come to age, do fall in sin as our fathers, uh, as as our great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, we sin. And thus, death becomes our future. You know, you read the Old Testament, as powerful as it is, as mighty as it is, as great as it is, the victories over the enemies the covenants of God, the promises of God, all the things that the Lord did for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the mighty works and the terror that Moses and the Hebrews performed on the Egyptians, all of those wonderful things. There is something that lacks in the Old Testament, and that is mankind all die. You think about that in the Old Testament. As great as the blessings are, everybody died, and there was no promise for life, for the afterlife. No hope for the afterlife. But Jesus Christ comes, the Son of God, the Lord manifested into the flesh, and he starts teaching things like the day will come when there will be a judgment and the just will arise to the resurrection of life and the unjust will arise to the resurrection of death. He said deeper things even than that, things like, He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He said, the day is coming and now is when the voice, when the ears, the souls of those in the underworld will hear the voice of God and arise to the resurrection of life. Jesus came to give us hope after death. It is a hope that is so great that the early church would never dare call somebody who died in the faith dead, but rather they would call them asleep, resting, meaning because their body, it's as if they are asleep. You think about this now. You're going to go home tonight and go to bed, and you're going to get up in the morning, hopefully, unless it's your day off tomorrow and you're going to stay in bed all day. (laughs) But some of us are going to get up. Some of you are going to get up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., whenever you get up to go to work. You lay down and you arise up. And the Christians viewed 
viewed the saints who passed from this life into the resurrection paradise with the Lord as sleeping because they knew their bodies would one day come up out of that grave. Now, granted, it would not just be for one night like you and I are going to sleep tonight. It could be for a long time, but still, it doesn't matter if you're going to get up one day from now or a thousand years from now or 10,000 years from now. When Jesus Christ sounds that trumpet, the souls of the departed that are in paradise are going to reunite with their bodies Just like what happened to Jesus, his soul left his body at death on Calvary. They buried him in a tomb. His soul went down into hell. And because hell tried to take the soul of an innocent man, death and hell were judged. And the Lord took all of the Old Testament saints out of hell. His spirit, amen, revived in his body. And he was then glorified and ascended up into the heavens, thus conquering death, which is why Paul says in Romans 6, Jesus will never die again because he has conquered death. Praise the Lord. This is the message, amen, and the hope that we have as Christians. Death is not something that we seek for because God gave us our life here for a specific purpose and a specific reason, and he is the author and finisher of our faith. But when that time comes and it comes to us all, it is nothing to fear, but rather something, amen, to lay hold on to. Amen. Something to desire and to hasten. For even Paul said, to be absent from this body is to not be asleep, but rather to be with the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. That is the hope that we have. But the enemy of all of this is sin. The reason why mankind fell is because of sin. But Jesus came looking past all of that, completely looking over that. I mean, they brought people in front of him that committed sins that were worthy of stoning. But Jesus would get down and write as if he did not even hear them. And he would say things like, I don't condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Amen. People who were full of the devil bound for hell. The Lord would speak to them and cast out the evil out of their body. And they would, amen, become a believer and become saved. People who were lost, people like the prodigal son, people like lost sheep, lost coins, all of these things. God looked past mistakes. He looked past the craziness. He looked past the insanity, looked past the desires of sin and the fall of mankind, looked past the works of the devil that they had brought into their life. And he said, I love you so much, mankind. I love you so much, world, that I will hang on a tree in your place and I will go to hell for you so you don't have to. None of us deserved that. None of us were worthy of that. None of us had anything in our life to make God want to do that. That is why it is called grace. It is God, amen, bringing his love to us In spite of our faults, in spite of our failures, in spite of all the wrong that we have done, God's grace looked past all of that. As great as sin was, the Bible says grace abounded more. It abounded so much more. Amen. Paul said, we were buried with Christ. You notice it says buried with Christ. It doesn't say buried with a triune God or buried with the Father, Son, and Spirit. 
but rather baptism is a burial in Christ. It is many things. And one of the things is it is symbolic in following the Lord and in following our God, our rabbi, you do everything like he did it. Well, none of us can really get on a cross. Although when persecution happened, the New Testament church did that. But as far as becoming born again, it's not done on a cross. That's what happens at repentance. But being buried with him, you have to be buried. Now, we don't have a tomb here. Jesus was buried in a tomb. We don't put you in a tomb and bring you out. That's not how they did it. We don't dig a hole in the ground and put you in the ground, throw dirt on you, and then pull you out of that. It'd be kind of difficult and kind of scary, and I don't know if we'd be able to pull everybody out of there. (laughs) But rather what we chose, well, not what we chose, what Jesus chose was a watery grave. Number one, it's easier to pull you out of it, right, than dirt. (laughs) And I think it's a lot more sanitary than maybe pulling people in and out of a tomb, right? (laughs) But you think about this. Jesus came to restore a lot of things that were lost in the beginning and to fulfill righteousness and typology. When God first created the world, the world was covered in water. The voice of God came, the light of God came, and that's what caused the land to come up out of the water. You and I are made of this earth and God wanted to fulfill that typology in us putting us under the water, making us void, making us empty, erasing our darkness and coming up out of that water. It's like dry land coming up out of the void, coming up from the voice and the light of God. Praise the Lord. And anybody who knows this, and I don't know anything about this, and you shouldn't, hopefully don't know anything about this. If you do, maybe you perhaps were once a bad person, but everybody knows if you want to get rid of a body, you bury him at sea, right? That's what happens at baptism. We're getting rid of somebody. We're getting rid of a body. Praise God. Baptism in Jesus' name. I wish, I wish, I wish at times our eyes would open and we could see all that happens there spiritually. But for the most part, you don't have to. You can just see it on somebody's face. You can just see it, amen, on their countenance and hear it in their voice and in their prayers. Something dies in the water there and something new is reborn. I've been on the opening up and lockup team in this church for years. And one of my favorite things to do, one of my favorite things to do is when I'm locking up is to drain that baptistry after baptisms. You know what I love to do whenever I open up that drain and I hear that water go down? I like to look and talk to that water and say, devil, you will never have those people ever again. Sin, you will never have those people ever again. Devil, you will never go deep sea diving on anybody, amen, that's been baptized. For the old things are passed away and behold, we have become a new creature in Christ. Amen. But Paul says... We don't just stop there because there were some in the church that said, once you have received grace, it doesn't matter how much you sin. Even after that, God's grace is still being poured out and renewed. But Paul said, we don't do that for sin is the very thing that made us fall. We don't continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid that we won't want to grieve the Holy Ghost. 
God didn't save us once, amen, to have to wash and renew our sins day by day by day by day. He saved us all of that so we would put all of that away. He wanted the flesh, the sin to die in the baptism tank and for us to continue on in the Lord, a life free from sin, no longer a slave to that stuff, no longer bound by that. That's why we stopped doing it because we have found a new master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says to obtain this, you have to be dead to sin and alive in Christ. But here you say dead to sin. Dead to sin has a beginning and that is baptism. But it takes more than just one event for that to happen. The body, when it dies, goes through a process of decay That's why Paul taught us to mortify our members. Dying inside is how we live a victorious life over sin. Since the pandemic came, many people ran to God. Many people thought it was the end and did everything they could to get ready for the end. But sadly, not everybody did that. Some people became idle and became frivolous in their activity and ran back to a lot of their old sins and a lot of their old habits. The book of Romans, I feel, is pulling on the church now that we need a love for righteousness like ever before in this generation. I was talking to evangelist Bobby Wade about something I felt, and he felt the same thing. God did not give us power over COVID-19. I know some of you are thinking, well, my goodness, don't we have authority over sickness and disease? Yes, we do. That's the thing. COVID-19 is not a disease. COVID-19 is a pestilence. And you look in the Bible, we have no authority over pestilence. The only thing that can cause a pestilence to leave, it's written in the book of 1 Chronicles. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will turn the pestilence away from the land. That is how we have victory over this pandemic and so many other things that are happening in this world. It is the righteousness of the church. Righteousness is so powerful, so powerful that God told Abraham, I will spare Sodom and Gomorrah if I can find a certain amount of righteous people in it. That is how powerful righteousness is. It stops the judgment of God. It completely makes null the curse, the darkness of this world. That's why Paul says, present your members as a source of righteousness to God. That is spiritual maturity. So when sin is near, it's time to start acting as if you are dead. But when God is near, it's time to start acting like you are alive. I love, if the musicians would please come, I love our worship services. And during worship service, our focus and our attention needs to be on God. But I like to, out the corner of my eye, look at somebody who I know who has never been in a Pentecostal service in their life in this room during worship service. I love to look and see somebody who has never felt the presence of the true Lord Jesus Christ and the real church and the real truth feel it for the first time. I have seen people who come in, it is as if they are dead. 
They're alive to sin, but dead to God. And for the first time in their life, they feel the spirit of God begin to move upon them. And you can see it on their face. You can see it physically upon their countenance and on their person. It's like they are coming alive. I love to see that. And that's what we are around here, right? We are life church. We are alive here to Jesus and dead to sin. And maybe you're here tonight, you feel as if you're not alive in the Lord. Can I tell you this? It's probably because maybe perhaps you have a sin problem in your life. We are not here to shame you. We are not here to judge you. That's God's job. And if you feel any judgment around here, it ain't coming from us. It's coming from God. Because the Bible says, let judgment first begin in the house of God. All we are teachers of the truth, and we will warn you of the things to come. But God rather is not here to make an end, but rather to pull you to righteousness and to pull you back to him. I've seen it over and over in the lives of people, and we all know what it is. Sin has its way of creeping in very slowly. It has its way of sneaking up on God's people. Rarely is it ever in your face, but it's like that serpent, the most subtle beast of the field. It's a second guessing what God has said and what God has promised. Friend, do not be deceived. The things that are happening in this world are not a sign that God is dead, but rather a sign that he is coming back. Right now, you and I are experiencing Luke 21 right before our very eyes. The pestilence is there. And you know what else is there? Distress of nations. It's happening in our lifetime. And it's not a sign and a signal to us that, hey, tomorrow we die. Let's have some pleasure now. Let's go out and have all the things of this world. Oh, no. It is a sign for us to love and to follow righteousness like never before. That is spiritual maturity. It is dying out to sin. When sin comes around, all it sees is a corpse and a casket. And sin says, I ain't sticking around for this funeral. I'm going to go find something that's alive. But when it comes to righteousness, oh, my friend, you're alive in it. When the Holy Ghost gets to move and it comes to you, it doesn't see a dead body. Oh, no, it sees a living, breathing thing. And it wants to fellowship with it and it wants to be a part of it. That is how you become alive in God. It is dying out to sin. It is dying out to this world and receiving his grace and the workings of grace and becoming mature in him by giving your life for righteousness. Can you say amen? Let's all stand. I first felt grace and experienced it in March 1991. I was eight years old at Missouri Youth Convention. I was distracted. I was not focused in that service. I played a video game the entire time. But when the preacher closed his Bible and gave the altar call, I felt the pull of God on my heart. And I put my toy down and I got out there and got as close as I can. And for the first time, tears began to come out of my eyes in the presence of God. I've been distracted that entire service. I didn't worship God one time in that entire service. But that is what grace is. 
It looks past distractions. It looks past you ignoring the Lord. And it reaches out for you in a way so that you will know it and you can feel it. I'd only cried in my life in times where I'd fallen and maybe physically got hurt or maybe uh, getting in trouble and feeling remorse for, for my misconduct. But I knew the tears that I felt were not tears because I was in pain or tears because I was in trouble. I was feeling tears because I was being touched by a loving God. It was love that was pulling me. It was sincere grace that reached out to me. And for seven months, I came to the altar after every sermon. I still kind of played my games and I was still kind of distracted. But the first thing that got a hold of me in the church service, it was not the greeting out front beginning of service. It was not the worship. It was not the offering. It wasn't the preaching. It was the pull of God to come forward and pray at that altar call. And for seven months, I experienced that. And after getting up from the altar, I would look and see the baptism tank in the old church. I love having the baptism tank right there, don't you? I like to look at that baptism tank from time to time and remember what I once was. But looking at that baptism tank, I felt the Holy Ghost drawing me further past the altar into that baptism tank. I was baptized October 1991, and when I came up and out of that water for the first time in my life, I felt as if I was summoned by God to a greater purpose. Amen. It didn't just stop there with me. I began to participate in worship service. I started getting with the preaching, and I started giving a little bit of offerings, and I kept coming forward to pray. It didn't just stop there. My eyes were attracted to the drum pit. I thought, I'm interested in those drums and I'm going to learn to play. And for those first couple years, praise God. Thank the Lord for the patience of our worship team. It was probably a disaster. I probably sounded like a toy monkey back there on the cymbals. But anytime I would get back there, I would play for God and I would do my best. As it said in Romans chapter 6, where we read, I was offering my members for righteousness. I was taking what I had, everything that I could and giving it to God. I would sing in the choir. I would testify. I then got into work on the altar, praying people through to the Holy Ghost. I then got into teaching young people. I started doing everything I could like intercessory prayer. I started, amen, studying the word of God in deeper levels, giving up time for fun, giving up time for this and that, sacrificing my life, amen, to study the depth of the word of God, reading the Bible through many times, and I say this humbly, but even one year reading it through nine times through. I didn't do that, amen, so I could boast, <coughs> but rather I did it because I wanted the word of God to get into my mind. I wanted the word of God to get into my heart. At times praying, amen, sometimes till four or five o'clock in the morning and going, amen, to class or going to work, giving up sleep for God, giving up meals for God. Why? Because I was trying to die out to sin and offer my life and my members for righteousness. And can I tell you, since I've done it and I've been on that journey, I've never regretted dying that day to sin. But can I tell you what? There is no life in sin, for sin leads to death, and death leads to hell, and hell leads to the lake of fire. 
But when you become alive in God, it's the greatest joy and the greatest pleasure in this life. And life leads to paradise and paradise leads to heaven and heaven leads to the new heaven, amen. Eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've come to tell you, church, amen, do not be wearying in well-doing. Do not be, amen, ashamed of this gospel. Do not be ashamed of the holy lifestyle, amen, for it is righteousness and it's pleasing to the Lord and entertainment to the Lord, amen. Oh, I feel the pull of God upon us tonight to live holy and to live righteously, not caring about the opinions of this world, not caring about the mockery of the outsiders, oh no, but rather we don't do it for them, but we do it for our Lord, for it was him who died for me. It was him, amen, who gave all for me, and I'm gonna give all for him, and that is giving him my righteousness and giving him, amen, my love for his word and my love for his law. I don't wanna be a lawless person, but I wanna be a lawful person person. That's how you find life in God and being dead to sin. If there's anybody here tonight, you want to feel alive like never before. I invite you right now, amen, to come forward, amen, in this time prayer around this altar call. Amen. God wants to give the life church life tonight. And that is the life of being alive in him, alive in righteousness. And it's done through prayer. It is done through sacrifice. It is done through giving. It's done through serving. Amen. Amen. There's something in you. Amen. That you've got that God could use. Amen. Won't you give it to him? Won't you develop it for him? Amen. Won't you be alive in him? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a beautiful thing. Oh, it's a beautiful thing when you do it. To become alive in Jesus, to become alive in God. You do it through dying out to sin. Dying out to sin. Hallelujah. My life is not my own. To you I belong, Jesus. Hallelujah. Who am I that you would die for me, my king? It was amazing love. It was amazing love. Hallelujah. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. And I'm accepted. You were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be, that you, my King, would die for me? love I know it's true it is my joy to honor you in all 